Go ahead and pull out your Bibles and something that you can take notes with. Got a lot of friends and family in the house this morning. Welcome everybody who doesn't normally come here on Sunday. We're glad you're here. Welcome to Antioch. Welcome to everybody who does normally come here on Sundays. Good to see you again. Been a lot of people sick recently, so it's good to see some faces that have been out for a while. Go ahead and open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. We are a uh, participation sport church, so you're going to need a Bible. You're going to need something to take notes with. Either I'm going to say something you want to write down, or you'll be so bored you can do something on your phone. Chris always just plays games over here in the corner. (laughs) Matthew chapter 7. We are... um, continuing a series that we've been in for quite some time. So if you are new with us this morning and haven't been around, I'm going to try to catch you up a little bit, but uh, it's going to feel like you missed a lot of the conversation because you have, but you're still going to get something out of this morning. We're doing a long uh, series that we're calling Christian Living, Christian Living, where we are looking at the Sermon on the Mount. We've been taking it kind of just a little section by section. We've been coming to Jesus on the, at the Sermon on the Mount, and we've been Coming to learn, how do we reorient from a self-centered lifestyle to a kingdom-centered lifestyle? So we've been asking Jesus to teach us, and and that that is Christian living, a kingdom-oriented lifestyle. We We want to be Christians that live it out, and so we've been asking Jesus to teach us how to do that through the Sermon on the Mount. We've been separating it into kind of several sections to hopefully group it up a little bit better. Some of you have found it helpful. Some of you have no idea where we're at, and that's okay. But for those of you who find it helpful, we're in a section of the third section, and we're calling it good religion. Good religion, because um, religion, the word religion in church can sometimes get a bad reputation, but when we talk about religion, all religion is, is it's your rituals and your habits that you build around your spiritual beliefs. And we are creatures of rituals and habits. It's, it's what we do about everything that we value. We've got a ritual around it. We do birthday parties a certain way. We do Christmas a certain way. We've got habits. We work out, we eat, we do the things to, we do those things to feed the things that matter in our life. And so uh, Jesus outlines for us in the Sermon on the Mount, what does good religion look like? And we have defined that as saying, good religion is, is rituals and habits of growing in the grace of God. Growing in the grace of God. So that's what we've been talking about for the last handful of weeks. So we've got part six of the third section. It's part like 142 of Christian living, I think. And this morning, this message is just simply called goals. Goals. What are the goals of good religion? We're going to be in Matthew chapter seven. Would you stand with me for the reading of the word of God? I'm pretty sure... We've got this morning and then one more message in this whole series, and it's done, so we've got a lot to pack in. I hope you came hungry this morning because I'm, I'm about to feed you a whole bunch. <laughs> Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 1. Judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? But how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. 
Really practical, right? All the pigs you're encountering with your pearls this week. (laughs) Verse seven, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that you are alive and you are present right here, right now. We recognize you and remember you, and we thank you that therefore your word is alive and active, and we do receive your word this morning. We ask that you would send your word sharper than any sword to dissect the things that need to be dissected, strengthen us, challenge us, encourage us, train us, reprove us, correct us, perfect us in your word this morning. We are coming to hear from you so that you can do what you see that needs to be done. We lay down our agendas preferences, opinions, and we come hungry to the word of God. Feed us this morning, Lord. Feed us in our souls and shape us. God, I'm asking that you would give me grace and mercy and anointing in the Holy Spirit to preach your word. God, I'm asking that every heart would be hungry. But I'm asking that everywhere that we came in, Lord, with reservations or walls built up, that those would be broken down right now in the name of Jesus, that we might feed on what our souls need so badly. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. I had to stop praying right then, otherwise it was about to go for a while. (laughs) We're talking this morning, what are we on? Part six, part six of good religion, goals. So this is the final part of our good religion series and we're closing out talking about goals. What are the goals of good religion? What's the end game here? You ever feel like you're living in a life where the goalposts are just constantly moving? Never good enough? conservative enough, progressive enough, kind enough. Should I keep going and get really testy here? (laughs) You know what I'm saying? See, we can look at religion and talk about the goals of good religion, and that can sound legalistic. Like, why do we have to come in church and and talk about how we got to get somewhere? We just got to be, man. Like, just... We just got to like, God just wants to meet us where we're at and stay there. That's not true. <laughs> and it's not unique to church or Jesus that, you're, that, that Jesus is trying to get you somewhere. You are living in a culture. You are living in a world. You are living in relationships that are trying to shape you into what they want you to be shaped into. They're trying to get you somewhere. Think a certain way. Act a certain way. Look a certain way. Believe a certain way. Vote a certain way. Do all these things a certain way that they do. Am I right? Have you felt the pressure? And so... The hard part about that isn't that there's necessarily um, forces on us that are trying to get us somewhere. It's the fact that those, that goal line is always moving. That is the legalism of the world we live in. As soon as you get somewhere you thought you were supposed to get to, now you've got to get somewhere else because it's never enough. But it is actually the grace of God that he would clarify for us in his Sermon on the Mount. He tells us where he's trying to get us to. The goals don't change. The goal line doesn't change. Jesus doesn't change. He makes it clear. That doesn't make it easy. But he's not moving the lines all the time. 
It's not moving another time. He's saying that this is the goal of all the good religion we've been talking about. The goal of Christian living, the goal of these things that I've been teaching you, I'm trying to create something in you. I'm trying to shape something in you. I'm trying to get you somewhere. And that's what he's gonna clarify for us this morning. Now we've got to keep in mind as we start this, like we always say, salvation is an invitation, not a destination, right? So how does this work? It's, 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 if it's not about a destination, then how is it that we're trying to get somewhere? The amazing thing about grace is that it's about a, is that grace is the starting line, not the finish line. When you get saved, you get to start in the grace of God. You get to start with the righteousness of God. You get to start with the perfection of God that he's been talking about this whole time. It's not the start to race to achieve those things. He's teaching you how to walk the journey in the things he's already made you to be. All right. So I've got four things that um, we're covering a lot of ground, as you can see. I don't know about you, but I wrestled a lot prepping for this message. I'm like, how do these things all fit together, Lord? But I believe he's given us something good. So I've got four goals that I want to clarify for you this morning, the goals that you should be expecting in your life, looking for in your life of good religion. Is God trying to get me to a good life, easy life, comfortable life? Where is he trying to get me? And they all start with P this morning because I just love you that much. I made them all start with the same letter. All right, number one, judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and the measure you use, it will be measured to you. The first goal that God has for you in the practice of good religion is purity. Purity. Jesus has a goal that you be pure. He is purifying you. And as we follow the trajectory of the Sermon on the Mount, we need to remember in the context of this whole conversation, one thing we've learned over and over again is that when Jesus is telling us something, he's not doing it so that he's, he can just write new rules for us to follow. Kind of have to have been here for a while to pick up on that, but there's some momentum here where he, he's not just writing a new rule. He's, he's trying to explain something to us. And when he's telling us not to judge, he's not just giving you a new rule. Okay, to be a good Christian, don't be, ju don't be judgy. Now you're not judgy, good Christian. He's explaining the pure heart that he's trying to create in us from the inside out. Jesus knows that we are suckers for bad religion. We're suckers for it. We are suckers for creating metrics with which we can measure ourselves and other people and label them spiritual words and then we feel really good about ourselves. So Jesus knows as he, we come to the close of this sermon, Jesus knows that as we begin obeying the Sermon on the Mount, living the Sermon on the Mount, as we begin pursuing this righteousness that he's called us to, this lifestyle centered on the kingdom that he's called us to, as we've learned, it's not easy. It, it takes effort. It takes choices and decisions. And so as we start making those choices, putting in the effort to live this Christian lifestyle, he knows that we will feel both tempted and justified to become judges. Because as soon as I start working hard on it, I can now judge you if I'm better than you. <laughs> or now I can judge myself against you if I think you're better than me. Jesus knows we're suckers for these things. Bad religion. The reason that we should not be judgmental is not because it's not nice. 
Jesus isn't coaching us on how to be just nicer people. And nicer people don't judge. And we're Christians, so don't do that. The reason that we should not be judgmental is not because it's not nice. We should not be judgmental because we are not judges. If this is your first time taking notes in church, that's one of those things you write down. <laughs> but, but let's think about this. We're not judgmental, not because it's not nice, but because we are not judges. No one is accountable to you. No one is accountable to you for what they do or don't do with their life. But you are accountable to God with how you love others with your life. That being said, Jesus makes, is, is, is showing us that first thing. Don't, don't be judgmental because you're not judges and judges judge and you're not a judge, so don't judge. That's why. But now how do we live this out? Because Jesus doesn't say, you know, basically you're not judges, so just don't worry about sin and unrighteousness. Jesus doesn't tell you to ignore the speck in your brother's eye. He just tells you to make sure you deal with your own log first. See, this is important because I think this is one of the passages that we can have a really hard time with because it's like, I, 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 should, I feel like I should be, um, maybe we won't call it judgment, but I should have discernment about something. <laughs> I should make assessments about something. Like, there's still right and wrong. There's still sin and righteousness. So, but if I'm not supposed to be judgmental, like, ah! Well, let's learn from Jesus. The first rock that he puts in that foundation for how do we live through this stuff is, okay, first of all, you're not a judge. So that's gonna change how you approach these things. Now, now let's talk about approaching these things because we do, in fact, approach them. In the, and, in, and this is good because in the body of Christ, we need to help each other towards purity. You will not grow in the purity that God is creating in you by yourself. How annoying is that? There are, there are sins, there are blind spots, there are impurities that we, that we need each other to help us with. Because the goal of church is not that I be right about everything. The goal of church is that I grow in the grace of God, which means I grow in purity. And that's my priority. And so if there's something impure in me that I can't see, I do need somebody to help me see it. So there are sins, there are blind spots, there are impurities that we need to help each other with, that we need to deal with in the world that we're lifting in, and Jesus is teaching us to do that, but to do it in mercy, not in judgment. Jesus has already told us earlier in his sermon that the merciful are blessed because they will be shown mercy. And now he gives us on the back end of the sermon sort of the flip side of that. He says, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And now he says, with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. In other words, you should fear the Lord before you start being a judge of somebody else. See, there, the Bible says that the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The beginning of wisdom. So what that means is that I may not totally understand how all of this works out, but it could not be any clearer that the way that you are merciful towards others and the way that you judge others will have something to do with the way that God gives mercy to you and judges you. Does that put the fear of God on anybody else or just me? 
Like, that's terrifying. Let's just put it out there. Let's not act like that's comfortable because it's not. Okay, so there, the pastor said it. I said, like I said, I don't get it, but I, it couldn't be more clear that Jesus is, is, is coaching us. Hey, be merciful and watch how you judge because it does have something to do with how God will respond to you. Now, I know we're saved by grace, but works matter too. And I'm like, Ugh. But that's what it says. So these rituals of growing, these habits of growing in the grace of God, as you do this as a Christian, as you grow in the grace of God, God will continue to purify your heart. And as your heart becomes pure, Jesus told us earlier, we will see God. As we see God, he also told us earlier, our whole body will be filled with light. And as our body is filled with light, you'll begin to see things more clearly. And when you begin to see things more clearly, some of the things you're going to start to see more clearly are things that need to be gotten rid of. Logs in your own eye and specks in your brother's. Okay, verse five, we can't miss this. You hypocrite. We just focus on that part, right? <laughs> you hypocrite, so just don't, don't be judgy. But listen, this is important. You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Jesus doesn't say here, you hypocrite, you have a log in your own eye. So therefore, you have no place to say what is righteous and what isn't. You have no right to say that anyone else has sinned because you aren't perfect. And sin's just part of all of this, so don't be mean. Everyone's on a journey. Just let everyone live with the specks in their eyes, and you're never going to get rid of your log. Now, that's bad religion. That's the stuff that the world is feeding you. The world feeds you your faults in that way. The culture you're living in is trying to shine a massive spotlight on the log in your own eye. And they show the log in your own eye and give you no hope of dealing with it. The whole point of the world showing the logs in your eye is to disqualify you and shut you down because you don't want to be a hypocrite. You've got a log in your eye and there's nothing you can do about it. So who are you to say anything about the speck in somebody else's eye? Because if you say something about the speck in somebody else's eye, you're just judging them. And Jesus is trying to reorient this whole thing. He's trying to reorient this whole thing. And he's saying, no, 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 I am creating a pure people. I'm creating a pure heart in you, but also in your brother and you together. See, Jesus is trying to plant his church here. And he's calling us to be a pure people. And so he's saying, as I'm purifying you, you're going to find logs and you're going to find specks. But since you're growing in the grace of God, you can deal with those. Don't be judgmental doesn't mean don't deal with it. It means don't be judgmental as you deal with it. So God is trying to give us grace. And in the grace of God, we need to expect that as we grow in him, as we follow him, he's going to show us logs in our eyes, but not so that he can condemn us, but so that he can set us free. And Jesus says, grow in my grace. Take the log out of your eye. And now, not only are you free from the log in your eye, that sounds way more comfortable, praise God, now you can see clearly to gently and accurately 
help your brother with the speck in his eye. Jesus is aimed at the log and the speck. He's just trying to teach us how to do it. See, earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is clear. When it comes to my sin, I need to think in terms of amputation. When it comes to the speck in your eye, I need to think in the terms of gentleness and accuracy. Have you ever helped a child get a speck out of their eye? Do we treat our brothers and sisters the same way? When we deal first with the logs in our eye, it gives us grace and mercy to point out the speck in somebody else's eye. And when I go through the work and the journey of getting the log out of my own eye, I now am gonna learn the accuracy and gentleness to help you with your speck. Jesus is forming purity in us. Number two, prudence. Prudence, verse six, do not give dogs what is holy. Do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Anyone else just skip over this verse most of the time? <laughs> this is one of those verses I was like, we're gonna preach through the whole Sermon on the Mount. I'm like, oh gosh, there's nothing to preach out of that verse. <laughs> Jesus tells us in his word that the kingdom of God is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. And then in his joy, he goes and he sells everything that he has so that he can buy the field with the treasure in it. And then Jesus tells us that the kingdom of heaven, it's like a merchant who's in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, he goes and sells everything that he has so that he can buy that one pearl. Do you understand the value of what you have been given in Christ? Do you understand the value of who you are in Christ? Do you understand the value of what is available to you in Christ? Jesus is telling us that there is a, there is a prudence in Christian living. There's a discretion, a wisdom, care, caution, forethought. Your faith is precious. Your salvation is precious. You're being filled by the Holy Spirit. It is precious. The gifts God has put in you are, has put in you are precious. Your calling is precious. The Christian life you're living, it is precious. Don't waste it. You have been made holy by the grace of God. Don't throw it away by succumbing to the pressures of life. You have been made pure, pure by the grace of God. Don't trash it by diving back into the muck and the mire of the life you used to live. You've been made righteous by the grace of God. Don't sell it and become enslaved to sin again. Do you know what you have in the grace of God? You have the pearl of great price. See, we contend to talk about our need for power to live our Christian life. We need, we need to pray for power over sin, power to resist temptation, power to overcome trial. And that is true. We need power. I want more power. Amen. Hallelujah. And 
We don't need Jesus to die again on the cross so we can be free from sin. We don't need Jesus to raise from the grave again so that we can live our Christian life and walk in holiness. The power of God has already broken the power of sin. Now you need the prudence to not throw away your freedom. On this side of the cross and the empty grave, we need to remember we've been given power. Now we must live with prudence. It's a meditation on the value of what God's already given you that's gonna remind you not to throw your life back away. See, I don't know if this is coming out okay, babe. This is... We are, we are the sheep of God. We, 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 are, we are fellow, we, we, are, we, are, we are fellow children and sheep of his pasture. And, and if, you, if you, as a sheep that belongs to God, if you spend your time petting the dogs and dwelling with the pigs, it's only a matter of time until the precious righteousness you've been given will be trampled under their feet and they will turn to attack you. The threat of sin is not that it will slow you down. The threat of sin is that it will eat you and trample you. It will steal from you, kill you, and destroy you. But you have the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. He knows his own and his own know him. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Now, be prudent. Enter by the door. Open the gate. Be saved and find pasture. My brother and sister, you have been given the treasure hidden in the field. You have been given the pearl of great price. Be prudent and grow in his grace. Don't throw it away. Don't throw it away. Jesus is forming a prudence in you to keep you from throwing away the gift that he's given you. Number three, persistence. Persistence. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts Good, give good things to those who ask him. Ask, seek, knock. Persistence. Persistence. Last week, we talked a little bit about, a little bit about faith. I'm gonna turn, turn in your Bibles to Hebrews. I can't find it. I think it moved. There we go. <laughs> Had a bookmark already, so that's good. Okay, so last week, we talked a little bit about faith out of Hebrews 11, verse 1. It says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. We were discussing 
What's the fruit of faith? And it's a similar question to what we're talking about today. What's the goal of the Christian life? If I'm a good Christian, if I have faith, that probably means things are gonna turn out great for me because that's how I want them to turn out for me. So that's probably what'll happen. If I just have enough faith, then I'm gonna get the result that I want. If I'm a good enough Christian, it'll, it should probably be easy because God will bless me and he gives good gifts to his children. And he provides for the lilies of the field. Has anybody ever thought these things? It's just me. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And what we didn't get to last week is that that verse, Hebrews 11.1, 1, comes right after some other verses. In Hebrews chapter 10, if you look up in verse 35, it says, therefore, do not throw away your confidence. Do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. Be prudent. Do you see it? Don't throw it away. Prudent people don't throw valuable things away. Not that complicated, right? Be prudent. You have, you have been given faith. You have been given grace. Now don't throw it away. Well, duh, I'm not going to throw it away. Something must be telling me to throw it away. Something must be telling me that throwing, away is, throwing it away is better than having it. Are you, are, you, are, you, are you sensing what's being said here? Therefore, do not throw away your confidence. You don't have to tell that to somebody who's not thinking about throwing away their confidence. Don't do it. Don't throw it away. Don't throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. Be prudent. The reward of holding on is more valuable than what you're being told you'll get if you let go. The reward of holding on, the reward of a pure heart is more valuable than sacrificing it for the thing you're being tempted with. The reward of seeing God is greater than the momentary relief of quitting. Just throwing my faith away throwing the grace away to satisfy the flesh. For you have need of endurance, persistence. You have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, the coming one will come and not delay. Those who ask, will receive. Those who seek will find. To those who knock, the door will be opened. To those who don't let go, will receive reward. For those who don't throw away their confidence, amen. You're allowed to be encouraged, even though I'm shouting real loud. The coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed. But of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Christians, we are persistent people. We can only be persistent people if we have to be persistent. 
As a Christian, as you're looking at Christian living, as you're wondering what does it look like to live as a follower of Jesus, you must assume that you will have need of persistence. You will have need of endurance. That doesn't make it easier to have endurance. It just doesn't make it so surprising. And that goes a long way. You ever been on a run and you thought you had a little left and then you realize you had a lot left? <laughs> I'm so thankful that Jesus makes it so clear to us that the goal of Christian living, the goal of good religion is not that I should just expect things to be easy all the time. I should just expect to get my way. I should expect that I just have the right amount of faith and things will turn out the exact way I want them to go, dream them to go, think they should go, prayed they would go. And then they don't, and I'm like, well, where was my faith? And that's when I want to quit. That's when I've got no more confidence left. When my confidence was in what I could muster up by faith instead of confident in the one from whom faith comes. My confidence was in what I could ask for. Not my, conf my confidence was not in the one who gives. My confidence was, well, if I seek right, I'll find him. Instead of just being confident that faith draws me to seek him and, he, and, and those who seek him will find him. He is a rewarder of those who seek him. Jesus says, be confident, be confident, be, be persistent. And your, persist, your persistence is not going to be fueled by yourself and your own ability, but in a revelation of how good your God really is. He's like, if, I mean, think about you. If, if your child asks you for bread, you don't give them a stone. If your child asks for a fish, you don't give them a, uh, a snake. And you're evil. <laughs> You're evil. Think about what, think about me, your heavenly father who is good and gives good things to those who seek him. Persistence, persistence, not just an effort or, or, or stuffing it and pretending like you've still got faith when you don't, pretending like there's no tension, persistently pretending like the trial's not hard, persistently pretending like I'm not confused, consistently pretending like I don't have any weaknesses, consistently pretending like I, I'm not hurt by the loss that I've experienced, pretending like I'm not struggling with doubt. It's not persistence and pretending, it's persistently coming to the Father persistently coming to the Father because the Christian life is not easy, my friends. I love you too much to lie to you. The Christian life is not easy. It is hard to be poor in spirit. It is hard and tiring to be one who mourns. Meekness is difficult. Hungering and thirsting for righteousness is uncomfortable. Being merciful isn't always what you want to do. Being pure in heart takes continual discipline. Being a peacemaker assumes that there is strife that we have to navigate. Persecution hurts. So it is the good religion, the rituals and habits of growing in the grace of God that will help us to persistently come back to the Father, even when you're tired when you're weary, when you're doubting, when you're angry, when you're confused, when you're questioning, when you can't anymore, when you're young, when you're old, when you're rich, when you're poor, come, ask, seek, and knock. Ask him for grace and you will receive it. 
Seek his face and you will find him. Knock on the kingdom and it will be opened to you. Be persistent in this Christian life. Number four, perfection. Perfection. We've already spent several messages on this and here it is again. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them for this is the law and the prophets. The fourth goal of good religion is perfection. And this shouldn't be a surprise to us. Jesus has made it clear to us at the beginning of his sermon that we must have a righteousness that exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees. He told us in the middle that we must be perfect as our heavenly father is perfect. And here, as he bookends the sermon and begins to end it, he is reminding us that he did not come to make us better. He did not come to improve us. He came to make us perfect, to fulfill the law and the prophets, not erase them and therefore erase the standard, but to fulfill them and meet the standard of holiness set out for us in the law. Be holy as God is holy. I took Rose to Starbucks the other day because I got a gift card from a friend. Shout out. And uh, Rose loves going to Starbucks. And she got a good report from school. So, so I took her there and we're standing in line and she looks up at the desk and she says, oh, can we get a cake pop for Smith? I was like, oh, that's so sweet. So we get some cake pops and we get home and we give Smith his cake pop and Rose has hers. And we're telling Rose, Rose, that was really sweet of you to think about Smith like that. And she says, yeah, I really wanted a cake pop. <laughs> That's not what Jesus is talking about here. <laughs> this doesn't say, you know, okay, so, so, so. Christians who are trying to learn how to live. We've covered a lot of ground. So just in summary, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for that will come back around so that you get what you want because karma is real and it's sort of a good sounding way to just make sure things go your way. It's like the Christian version. That's not what he says. In light of the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, we can understand clearly that doing for others what you would have them do to you has nothing to do with what someone does or does not do in reciprocation for you. This isn't Jesus's version of karma so that the good vibes you dish out to the universe come back to you. This is about loving God with your, all your heart, soul, mind, and strength by completely reorienting your lifestyle around the kingdom of God. You have completely reoriented your lifestyle around him and his word and what he calls you to, going where he leads, including surrendering all of your desires. And this is about loving your neighbor as yourself. Instead of orienting your life around people doing for you what you wish they would do for you, you completely reorient. You orient your life around loving your neighbor in the way that you would want your neighbor to love you. Christian living is where you are giving away to others the very thing you would hope that they would give to you. Not so that they will give it to you, but because you love them. In a world completely oriented around self-centeredness, what yourself wants, what yourself needs, how to best serve yourself, how everyone can validate and care for your most true self, you are other than that. You are holy. 
by the grace of God. You have been made perfect by the grace of God. You are a human being in whom the requirement of the law and prophets has been fulfilled. So now, you love God with your whole self and you love your neighbor with your whole self as well. These are the things that God's trying to create in you. These rituals and habits of growing in the grace of God as you're taking them one step at a time, as you fail a few times, as you make some progress along the way, as you look down the road and you wonder, you know, I've been at this for a while. Am I making any progress? Where's God taking me? These are the things that you should look down the road and see. Is he creating a pure heart in me? Am I walking in his, in his strength that I might be prudent and not throw myself back to sin, but live in the righteousness that he's given me? Am I persistently asking or am I really tempted to quit right now and do I need to find a brother or a sister to strengthen me along the way? Am I living perfected? Because apparently I can. I can live my life loving him and loving others. And this is the goal of good religion. These are the things God's creating in you this morning. That's why it matters you showed up here. You just took a step forward. You just grew in the mighty grace of God. Let's stand as we close our time this morning. We're gonna worship for one more song together. We're gonna have our prayer team up here at the front. If you need prayer for anything in your life, please come get the prayer that you need. Maybe something to do with this morning, maybe nothing at all. If you need healing, if you need a miracle, we've been just seeing God do amazing things in our time together. And I would encourage you to not leave church without getting prayer, the prayer that you need. I don't usually say this, but if you're here and there's something that you've been getting prayer for, you're still allowed to come get more prayer for that and be encouraged again today. So for whatever that's worth, I'm gonna pray for us as we respond to the word of God this morning. Lord, we love you. We thank you that you are growing us in the grace of God. And we surrender ourselves to you in these final moments together. And we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would lead us in any next step that we have to take. Move us forward and strengthen us by the power and the filling of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name.